Hey, this is Billy Claudio. I'm the pastor of Oasis Community Church, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you. I hope it builds your faith, and I hope you find freedom today through the gospel. Enjoy the message. everybody. That's my best Billy Claudio impersonation. So that's all, that's all I got there. All right, so obviously my name is Elizabeth Millich. I'm not Billy or Don or Andy or Q. Everybody's out of town. And so I feel like um, I'm like been in the minor leagues and then all of a sudden it's like I got the call and it's like, oh my gosh, I'm going to the majors. I can't believe it. Like, here it is. I'm major league. Yeah. So I feel very honored to have gotten the call and to be here this morning. And I'm so glad that all of you are here this morning. I know our men are away at our uh, men's retreat, having a powerful, amazing time. And we've heard great testimonies already uh, from what God was, has done up there. And so um, that's just exciting. Um, and I'm excited to see Andy when he gets home and hear how he's, how it went. Um, and for online, we're glad you're here this morning as well. Thank you for being here and watching from wherever you are. All right, so just so you can be prepared, since you haven't ever had me preach unless you've been at a women's retreat, um, I'm not going to talk as fast as Billy, so you can <laughs> calm. I'm not going to be as loud as Andy. And I won't be as crazy as Don or Q. And I mean that in the best possible way, crazy. But that's just not going to be me. I, I respond more to just like blank stares. So I actually don't need you to be like, I don't need anyone to say amen. I mean, if you want to, you can, but you don't have to. You don't need to be like, preach it, or that's good. I do much better if you just like talk to your neighbor while I'm preaching. Or you could even shout out to me, like, my dog's toenail keeps bleeding. Like, whatever, because I teach kindergarten. And so that is what I'm used to teaching in front of. It's just people that literally just do whatever they want to do, and I just keep on preaching. Nothing derails me. So you just be comfortable and do what you need to do. All right, so we're jumping in. So I asked the leaders, the pastors that be here, what am I preaching on? And they all said, oh, you can preach on whatever you want. I'm like, wait, no, like, what's the theme? Are we in Savage? Like, what's the verse? Like, I need a theme. No, 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 whatever you want. I'm like, no, I do better. Like, give me a theme, give me a verse, and then give me a standard, and I can teach it. So, no, that was not the answer. So I began to pray, God, what do you want me to preach on? And I believe that he gave me two words, uh, one, I'll share it now, and then one later, that confirmed that this is the message for you today. And even, it's sidebar, when I got in my car this morning, the song that was playing was 100% about the promises of God. And I was like, oh, that's just confirmation. So I believe this morning that God wants me to speak to you about his 
promises in his word. And so I want to pray this morning. I want to invite the Holy Spirit here uh, that our hearts would be open, that our minds would be open, and that we would all be able to take something away um, on God's promises. So, Lord, we just thank you for this morning. I thank you for this opportunity to be here. I don't take it lightly, and I'm just thankful, Lord, to be a vessel for your word. I pray for the hearts of everybody here, Lord. Would you open them? Would you just help everybody to receive what they need to receive this morning? And Father, we just invite you into this message. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so if you have been in church or around church for any uh, length of time, you have probably heard at least one of God's promises. We talk about them all the time. We sing about them. We, um, We read about them. But sometimes I think they become maybe oversaturated and we forget how powerful God's promises truly are. They become just sort of like, yeah, yeah, I know those are God's promises. But to actually um, really realize the power that they hold. And so um, I want to talk about in the word, how did promises come about? How did, why do we have God's promises? So if we look at um, back in history, um, well, there's been some debate about how many promises there actually are. And so when, like, researching through how many promises are in God's word, um, I came across a man, his name, was, his name is Herbert Lockyer, and he wrote a book called All the Promises of the Bible. And in it, he tells a story about a man named Everett Storms, who was a school teacher, which of course I love, in Canada, and he decided to make a detailed study of the promises of God. And during his 27th reading of the Bible, 27 times through the Word of God, um, that took him a year and a half, Storms came up with a grand total of 8,810 promises. 7,487 of those are made from God to mankind. So when we look at this word of God's word, there are 7,487 promises that he made to humanity. And, and still there might be some fluctuation of numbers and consistency depending on what commentaries you read, but that's the number I'm going with. So today I'm going to go through all 7,487. So get ready. Number one. No, just kidding. Um, So we are going to start, though, with the first promise of God, because I feel like that's important to set. Where did the first promise, why did that enter? And it's interesting, I asked a couple people who are um, highly spiritual, maybe even pastors, hey, do you know what the first promise of God was? And a lot of people think it's when God, in Genesis, when God gave dominion to Adam over all the animals and, you know, of the garden and his creation. But what's interesting is that actually isn't a promise. That was a command. That's not a promise of God. He was just basically, this is your dominion. You have rule over them. What's interesting is that the first promise did come in Genesis, but it didn't come until later. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Genesis 3.15 to start. And when I first read this, I was like, that 
can't be right. There's no way that's the first promise. It's not warm and fluffy. It's not like really sweet and wrapped up in a bow. So I kept looking at it and digging further and was like, I'm, I don't understand this verse. I'm like not very educated apparently because I'm like, this verse is really complicated for the first promise of God. But after you look through it and dig through it, and what I'll help you to do this morning is kind of see through it, is um, looking at how this is a promise and what a powerful promise it is. So in Genesis 3, 15, um, let me set the context, sorry, really quick. So this is in the garden, but it's after Adam and Eve have already uh, disobeyed God. It's after Eve has eaten the apple. It's after Adam has eaten the apple. It's after the serpent has deceived them. And here we see now God enters in and he is speaking to the serpent in this promise, which I find interesting. He's not speaking to Adam and Eve. He's speaking to the serpent. Adam and Eve are present though. And so here we see that pre this conversation was perfection was God's creation, was no sin, was everything that God intended for creation to live under. And then, fast forward to this, we see the fall of man. We see sin has entered the world. And from that first sin, God makes a promise. That's where promises came from. They came from the sin of this world. And then God was like, oh, I, I have promises now for you. Despite what you've done, despite your disobedience, I love you enough and still that I'm going to give you a promise. And so this promise says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, capital S, he, capital H, shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel, capital H. So the capitals obviously are signs of um, God and, um, what am I trying to say? I don't know. Okay. Like, you know, deity, God. Okay. Jesus. So this first verse is, or this first promise is actually twofold. In it, there is a curse, but also in it is the promise. And the promise is what is amazing. And so even though we look at the first part, it says God is going to put enmity between Satan and humanity. And that's, that's the first part of this reality of the fallen world. Until the Lord comes back, we live in a fallen world, and there will be strife, there will be fighting between uh, humanity and Satan, because he wants the dominion over it. Um, and then it goes on, and between the seed of the woman, now that capital S is significant because the seed of the woman is all of humanity. We've all come down that. So even Jesus Christ himself is considered the seed of Eve as it goes down. And the seed, oh, and that of the serpent. So again, we see the seed of the serpent is going to be Satan, demonic, evil, all of the things that are not of this world, those are the seeds of the serpent uh, battling against the seed of humanity. But it says, although God's chosen Savior would himself be bruised in the process, 
but the death of the one would triumph over the power of the other, and death itself would lose its sting, and Satan himself would be vanquished forever. And that's the promise. I love this uh, commentary. This was the best commentary I read on it, and it comes from Charles Spurgeon, who has written some amazing things. Um, so if this is too fast or you don't quite get it all, go look this up because it's a great commentary. Um, and it says, again, this first promise to fallen man, and that I feel like is so significant because, uh, because we were fallen, God stepped in to give a promise. So Charles Spurgeon says this, this is, the first, this is the first promise to fallen man. It contains the whole gospel and the essence of the covenant of grace. It has been in great measure fulfilled. The seed of the woman, even our Lord Jesus, was bruised in his heel, and a terrible bruising it was. How terrible will the final bruising of the serpent's head be? This was virtually done when Jesus took away sin, vanquished death, and broke the power of Satan. But it awaits a still fuller accomplishment of, at our Lord's second coming and in the day of judgment. To us today, the promise stands as a prophecy that we shall be afflicted by the powers of in our human nature here. And thus bruised in heal, meaning life will be hard. We will have trials. We will have tribulations. But we shall triumph in Christ, who sets his foot on the serpent's head. Actually, Charles Spurgeon says, on the old serpent's head. Throughout this, throughout this life, we may have to learn the first part of this promise by experience through the temptations of the devil and the unkindness of the ungodly, who are his seed. They may so bruise us that we limp uh, with our sore heel, because that's the reality of living in a fallen world. But let us grasp the second part of the text, and we shall not be dismayed. By faith, let us rejoice that we shall still reign in Christ Jesus, the woman's seed. And so I know that was a lot to unpack, but how amazing that even in a fallen world, even though we walk with a bruised heel sometime and we fight against that, God is still faithful and has the final say. God is still triumphant over the enemy. Yes, amen. Thank you. Not that I need that. Anyway, okay, so the first promise of God is the fulfillment of salvation. The first promise that God made way in Genesis is the fulfillment of salvation. That one day, Jesus will be coming back and will step on the head of Satan. Amen. Okay, so if that's the first promise of God, which is super powerful, let's go to the last promise of God. So, in Revelation, it's actually the very last scripture in Revelation 22, we find the very last promise that God has given. In 22:20, it says, "Surely I am coming quickly." Praise the Lord. How many times have you uttered, "Oh, Jesus, come quickly." I say it all the time because I have a teenage girl, and I'm like, "Lord, come quickly." Um, but what's amazing is that in that one chapter, which is actually quite small, it's not a very big chapter at all, three times that promise stands. In verse 7, in verse 12, and verse 20, all of Revelation 22 
are the words, surely I am coming quickly, or I am coming soon. And that is the promise. Now, even in Bible times, people were um, scoffing at that, naysaying, questioning. In 2 Peter 3, 4, we see uh, somebody saying, where is the promise of his coming? Like, even in Bible times, they were not understanding and losing their patience. And I love this. It says, I found this quote. It says, what we count as a delay of his promise is not a delay to God at all. Because our timeline, as we know, is not God's timeline. Our life here seems long, and we keep waiting and waiting, but to God, it's a vapor. And so he will be coming. Might not be in our lifetime, but he will be coming, and that's the promise to hold on to. So in between the first promise and the last promise are 7,485 more promises, which is quite amazing. I think, though, that we can be overwhelmed, like which promises are the ones that I should read, or are all of his promises important? Um, A lot of people aren't sure, like, where to even start with his promises. So um, if you have time and want to go through and find all 7,485 promises, that would be amazing. Write them down, let me know, because I'm not going to do that, but that would be amazing if you did. Okay. What's interesting, though, is that the Hebrew language actually doesn't have a word that corresponds to promise. So you know how, like, when there's a word in here and we say, this is the English word, but in Hebrew it means this, in Greek it means this, in Latin, you know, we're always translating from the original text of the Bible. What's very interesting is that promise doesn't have a, a, a correlation to the, Engl- to the Hebrew language. Um, in the Old Testament scriptures, you'll find words that are the closest to the word promise, and they're words like this, word, the actual word, speak, say. So what that means is that God's word itself is the promise, because when they say the, the word, or say, or God speaks, those are the promises. So there's not a Hebrew translation for it. God's promises are virtually obligations that he imposes upon himself. So after the fall of sin, after the fall of man, not the fall of sin, after, fall, after sin has entered the world and man has fallen, God steps up even again and says, these are obligations that I'm going to impose on myself for you. I also read this that I loved. A gift, a promise, is a gift graciously bestowed, not a pledge secured by negotiation. So that means we don't have to do anything for that promise. It's not like you do this, and then I'll give this promise to you. Or if you do X, Y, Z, then I'll do this promise. It's none of that. They are, it's a gift bestowed, not secured by negoci- negotiation. What strikes me as amazing as I was thinking about this and reading and studying is that we have this God who is all-powerful, almighty, created the heavens, created the earths, created mankind, created everything. He is high and mighty and lifted up, and he owes us nothing. 
He owes us nothing, literally nothing. And yet, he chooses to have promises over our lives. He chooses to love us in spite of our sin and grant us things that he himself has imposed upon himself to give us. And that is amazing. Now, some people wonder in reading the scriptures, like, I don't think these promises are for me, especially if you're reading in the Old Testament. You, th- you might come across and be like, these promises are all for Israel. And Israel did have tons of promises given to them. And so sometimes we think maybe it's out of context, like, well, this doesn't apply to me in this day in 2022 because I'm not living in Israel and those promises aren't going to be for me. But if we look back on his word, um, there are two scriptures. I'm going to jump ahead really quick in my notes. Um, It says in, sorry, back there, uh, in Romans 9, 6 through 8. I'm going to do that one first. So um, this part I love because it talks about how we are all from uh, the line of Israel. And in this particular scripture, it says, well then, Has God failed to fulfill his promise to Israel? No, for not all who are born into the nation of Israel are truly members of God's people. Being descendants of Abraham doesn't make them truly Abraham's children. For the scriptures say, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted, though Abraham had other children too. This means that Abraham's physical descendants are not necessarily children of God. Only the children of the promise are considered to be Abraham's children. And so what Paul is writing in this text is that simply being born Jewish does not guarantee that you are in God's family. It it doesn't just automatically make you a part of God's family. Um, It says God's being, oh, being a child of God meant to follow him completely. God's promises then were given to those willfully who committed their hearts and their lives to him. So for believers today, God's promises are still applied to those who place their faith in Christ. If we look back, yes, amen is correct. If we look back in Joshua, speaking of the Israelites, if you go back and read the Old Testament, the, the promises that God had for Israel, if you were living in that time frame, you would have definitely been like, there's no way. There's no way an entire people are going to escape Pharaoh, escape slavery and captivity. There's no way they're going to get across where they need to be. There's just no way. Looking at it, there's just no way. That's not going to happen. And yet, we see that Every single promise that God made to the Israelites of a promised land, of being freed from slavery, of making it across the Red Sea, of food and water and all the things that they needed, in Joshua 21.45 it says, Not a single one of all of those good promises the Lord had given to the family of Israel was left unfulfilled. Not one. Everything that God had spoken came true, which is powerful for us today, that if God's promises were true then, his promises are true today. And so, yes. Okay, where am I at? Oh, okay, in Second Peter 1, 4, and 5, 
Um, it says, and because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. In view of all of this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. And I think sometimes that's the key in our lives. We become complacent, and we don't actually respond to God's promises. We know they're there, but do we respond to them? And in Second in Peter, it's calling us to respond to them. Okay, so not only are God's promises for us today— But scripture calls us to respond to them, meaning that we pray for them to be enacted in the situations of our lives each day. So that's key. I'm really into like grammar and words, so enact is a verb. And so we need to enact the promises of God over our lives and into our situations every day. Now, I know that God was uh, putting this on my heart for a second time through an experience that happened last week. Um, And I share this only because I feel it's powerful. And I asked Andy if I could share it, and he said, if it helps your message, I suppose. (laughs) I said, no, it doesn't help my message. It's God's faithfulness. He said, okay, fine. Okay, so um, the other night... And let me just sidebar really quick. I sleep like a rock. Like when our kids were little, Andy would have to wake me up and be like, the baby is crying and needs to eat. I'm like, oh my gosh, okay. So I'm a sleeper. Andy is the extreme opposite. Not a sleeper, has insomnia, walks around. Sometimes I'll reach over, he's not there. I don't know where he's at. So it's not unusual that he would be up. But in this particular night, I'm out and... Um, I see him from my peripheral as I'm like kind of like being stirred that he is like pacing around our room and I can see he's agitated so I'm like hmm that's weird and then he comes over to me and he just says I need he's like in a panic and he says I need you I need you and he kneels down on my side of the bed and I mean you guys know Andy he's a little rough around the edges at times he is weeping and he's shaking and he says I am under such attack right now he's like I need you to pray I need you to pray so I all of a sudden am out of my stupor of sleep and so I just immediately put my hands on his shoulders and I cannot tell you even right now where in the Bible I I I couldn't tell you the reference of the verses that I was praying over him I couldn't tell you the concordance of where it was, but because I know the word of God, I know his promises. So I just start praying out loud, Lord, we come, fill this place. We we know you have dominion over darkness. We know you've won the battle. We know that you are our protector. You're our refuge. We know that Satan has no hold here. I am just praying, praying, praying all the things. I don't even know if I'm making sense but I know I'm praying God's promises over darkness, that when Jesus' name is said, darkness has to flee. So about 10 minutes in of just praying, praying, and Andy just shaking, he finally starts to calm, and his tears kind of stop, and he stands up, and he's kind of trying to regain himself. And in that moment, I uttered out loud, thank you for your promises, God. Thank you that when we call upon you, 
you are faithful. Thank you that when we enact your promises, you meet us. That if the Bible says darkness flees in your name, that happens. That when God uh, is present in a room, darkness is gone. The enemy is gone. Uh, I was praying for angel armies to come over Andy, and I know that that is what happened in that moment. Now, I know that that's not going to be everybody's situation, and in fact, I kind of pray it's not because it's so frightening. In fact, for me, I am not I don't really deal with that. Like, I know spiritual warfare's there, and, um, but that's not my situation. And so um, there might be other things in your life that are just feeling as hard as that. We all have things in our life. We, in this world, we will have trials and tribulations. And so your trials and tribulation might be spiritual, but it might not be spiritual. It might be something else. And God has a promise for your situation today where you sit. So, um, when we enact the promises of God, he is faithful to, um, he's faithful. He's just faithful to come and make that situation different. And I am so thankful for that. So, in closing number one, just kidding. (laughs) I don't have five closings, I promise. All right, so... Because it was so big, um, and I did say to God, after I found out there were 7,487 promises, I was like, maybe there's a different topic you want me to speak on, God. There was not. So um, I have tried to just narrow it down to 10 promises. So if you can take anything from today to not be overwhelmed by all the promises of God, to just have 10. And what I want to encourage you to do is this. So what I did was kind of just wrote a promise and put one verse, like keeping it very simple. Remember, I teach kindergarten. So what I want you to do is if this is your situation, if you are feeling this as I am speaking about that, I want you to either take a picture of the verse that's up there, or if you don't have your phone out, just write it on the back of your bulletin or something. And then here's my challenge to you. I want you to be able to go home. I want you to look up this scripture in your Bible not on your phone maybe, but like in your actual Bible, and write it down. By writing it down, you have done the first step of enacting that promise in your life. And then I want you to claim it. I want you to claim that promise over your life with that little piece of paper that you write it on, and pray it, and remember it, and I want to hear if God changes your situation, if God's promise is different after you claim it and enact it. So that's your homework for today. You guys probably didn't know you'd be coming to church and getting homework. Okay, so here we go. The first promise is God promises to strengthen you. Now, I say this because I know that some of you in here are bone tired. You are weary. You are exhausted. You have to keep fighting. You have to keep going, and you don't think you can. And I'm here today to tell you that God will strengthen you. He will strengthen you through your fight. Sorry, I have friends going through things. Okay, in Ephesians 3, 14 through 16, here's the verse I want you to claim over your life. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, 
from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. And when you think about that verse and those words, your inner being, think of that strength coming from within, and it's only from the power of God, his spirit coming and strengthening you. So if that's you today, if you are exhausted and tired and you know you still have a fight, claim this verse over your life, enact this verse over your life, and hold on to it and allow God to strengthen you through Uh, your situation, and because he is faithful to answer his promises. Okay, number two, God promises you, God promises to give you rest. Now, this is different from strength. The the reason the two are different is how, in my mind, I kind of thought about it was, when you need strength, you're still fighting. Like, you can't stop. You have to keep going. And, and, and so God will strengthen you in the fight, in your inner being. He will strengthen you to keep going. But some of you have just been spinning your wheels, doing your own thing, trying to get through, and God is saying, stop. He's calling you to a season of rest. And if that is you, this is the verse to claim over your life. He doesn't want you to keep fighting. He wants you to rest in him. And so Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 says, Then Jesus said, before I read this, time out really quick. Um, here's the thing with some of these verses, especially if you've been in church a long time. You hear them and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that verse. But do you know that verse? Do you claim that verse? Do you enact that verse? It's one thing to just hear it and go, yeah, I've heard that a million times. But to own it as your own, that's the encouragement for today. Okay, so he says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Some of you just need rest for your souls. They just are in turmoil. They just keep going. And God is saying, I want to give you rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. So if you need rest, enact that promise in your life. Okay, number three, and this one I feel like could apply to all of us right now with the economy doing what it's doing and um, groceries being what they cost. I know even we've had some issues just, yeah, knowing like, okay, God's got this. So God promises to take care of all of your needs. Um, Some of you might be in here with huge financial situations where maybe you don't know where it's going to come from. Maybe you've run out of places to look for this financial breakthrough of your needs being met. And God will provide your needs. The thing when I was saying this is like when I go to the grocery store and a bag of pita chips are $7.99, you know, compared to what they used to be. I start thinking like, you know, you can get kind of anxious. And then I realize this economy has not caught God off guard. He's fully aware of what's happening. He knows the price of gas. He knows the price of groceries. He knows that probably a lot of us haven't gotten raises in our jobs to counter that. And yet, he is still faithful to provide for all of your needs. And so I think that's in this economy where you think, I don't know how I'm going to do my basic needs of gas and food and medical and whatever it is you need. 
God still will provide your needs. He is not, he is not dismayed by this economy. It just means he, that we need to enact that promise more, that we need to claim it over our lives, that we need to make wise choices with what we do with our financial means that he gives us, and he will provide for your needs. Did I read the verse already? Philippians 4.19, And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, I love that, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. And so you can use this for, you can use this not only for financial, it could be other needs. You could have needs of healing. You could have needs of relationship. You could have needs of whatever it is. But for, for what I felt like the Lord was saying to me today, it was the financial needs of taking care of your families and what needs to be done, uh, just because we all know what's happening. But it's not a surprise to God. Okay, God promises to answer your prayers. Now, this one comes with a little, little sidebar about answering your prayers. Sometimes uh, we think that if we just pray it in earnest, God for sure is going to answer it. But it has to be in accordance with his will for you. So praying and enacting for you to win the mega millions might not be the promise that God has over you. So maybe don't pray those things that aren't in accordance with God's will. I mean, it could be you could win the mega millions, but that's not probably what it is. But if you are seeking the Lord, if you are walking with him and you have a burden or you have something, a prayer that needs answered, I would encourage you to uh, claim this verse over your life that he would open the doors that you need opened, that he would close the doors that you need closed, that he would make it evidently clear that whatever you are seeking and praying for, that he will answer that prayer. In Matthew 7, 7, it says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Some of you might have situations in here where you are just... You don't know which way to go. You're not sure if this is what God has. Uh, this might be a good opportunity, but you're, you just don't know, or a job, or a marriage, whatever it is. And God is saying, continue to seek me. Continue to come to me. And he will make it clear. He will open those doors, or he will close them for you. And that is something you can trust in. Okay, verse 5, uh, or no, ah, not verse 5, point 5. God promises to work everything out for your good. And this one is a good, they're all really good, but this is a good one. Um, I'll read the verse first so I don't forget. Romans eight twenty eight says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. And again, sometimes we hear these verses, the ones that are like the famous go-to verses. We hear them, and then we just go, yeah, I've heard that before. Like, that's a, that's a good verse. No, it's a promise, and it's a powerful promise, and God has that over your life for you. Now, some of you might be in a situation where because of your choices, your maybe sin, uh, things are messed up. Things got off and awry. What this verse is saying is that God 
He doesn't care. He's still going to work it for your good when you come back and repent of that sin. Now, you might be living in the consequence of that sin, but he's still going to work it out for your good. And that's the powerful thing. Um, Some of you are living in a circumstance that somebody, uh, you're living in the consequence of somebody else's sin that was put on you from their sin choices, and you were the recipient of it, or you have taken the brunt of it. God is still going to work that out for your good. He's going to heal. He's going to redeem. He's going to make the situation work out for you in accordance with his plan. And so if you're in that situation where you're like, I've just messed up and I don't even know how to get back, or somebody has messed me up so bad and I don't even know how to get back, claim this verse, that all things will be worked together for his good. I love that it doesn't say in here, it says that God causes everything. It doesn't say God causes the good things to work out for your good. It doesn't say God causes just some things to work out for your good. It says he, cl- he calls everything. That means the good, the bad, the ugly to work out on your behalf. And that's a promise worth hanging on to. All right, next one. God promises to be with you. Um, Some of you might feel very lonely. You could even be in a crowded room and still feel alone. And I want to remind you today of Joshua 1.5. It says, I will not fail you or abandon you. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You might have a work situation where you're the only believer there and you feel very alone. You might be the only believer in your house and you feel very alone. There are so many, you might just actually be physically alone and so then you feel spiritually alone. And God doesn't want you to feel that. He is with you. He is for you. And he will not leave you or forsake you. He's going to be with you wherever you go. Verse 7. God, or I keep saying that. Oh my gosh, sorry. Okay, not verse 7. Point 7. God promises to protect you. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God and I trust him, Psalm 91, 2. And that is powerful. Uh, Even in that night with Andy, I knew that God was our protector. I knew he was our refuge. Um, I couldn't have told you this verse, verse by verse, but I know his promises. So if you are in a season of feeling um, vulnerable, if you are feeling not protected, whether it's spiritually, emotionally, physically, enact this promise over your life that God will protect you. He will keep you. He is your refuge. Point eight, God promises freedom from sin. Amen to this. I have two verses for this one. In, one, in 1 John 1, 9, but if we confess our sins to him, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. And then John 8, 36. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And some of us maybe are stuck in a sin pattern. Maybe we want to be out of it, 
but something's holding us. Or we just kind of keep going back to that because it's safe and it feels good. Um, and God is calling you to tell you he has so much more for you. He, he promises us that he will free us from that sin. Um, I didn't have this in my notes, but I feel like it's worth sharing. I, I uh, years ago, had a little bit of a shopping addiction, and I feel, I know, it's not funny, but it is funny. Um, and so I would just get us in all sorts of financial disarray when the kids were little. And Andy was like, oh, you know, he's just beside himself with me. And I really had to, I really had to look at it as like, this is a sin issue. This is a sin issue of, if I'm hiding lipsticks and shoes, it's probably a sin issue. And so... Um, I am so thankful that I can stand here today and say that God has freed me of that sin. I no longer feel this compulsion that every time I go in a store, I have to buy something. It's very freeing. And amazingly enough, our finances are not in complete disarray. We actually have money for other things, which is amazing. So even the, the littlest thing God will free you from to the biggest thing God can free you from. Okay, next one. God promises that nothing can separate you from him. Romans 8, 38. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And this is a powerful verse. You might be feeling like you've done something and God is distant, and he's not going to uh, be with you, like you've separated yourself from him. And I want to tell you that he's still going to pursue you, and he's still going to love you. Um, I spent a season of my life a couple of years ago completely separated from God because I was mad and I was angry, and I didn't really want to have him comfort me in the trial of my life, of, of the death of my father. And what's amazing is that God never left. He didn't separate himself from me. I was the one who separated. And the minute I decided that life without him was really, really bad, but life with him was really, really good, the second I came back, he was faithful to be there because he doesn't ever let us go. There's nothing that we can do to separate us from his love. Even if we're not feeling his love in that moment because of our own emotions and our own crazy, he still is saying, I love you. I'm just waiting for you to come back. I want you to be in relationship with me. I don't want you toiling on your own. And so if you are feeling separated from God, he's not separated from you. So you just need to claim this verse and just come back and say, God, I've been far from you, and I don't want to be far from you anymore. I want you to be in my life, and we'll work out all the other things, the disappointment, the decisions I've made, all the things that maybe you feel like you can't go back to God. He is able to handle all of those things. Okay, number 10, we made it to the last one. God promises you everlasting life. Amen to that. And again, this verse is the one that we've learned, if you've been in church forever, in, in Sunday school. 
but it's the most profound verse that God did so love us. It says God so loved the world, but it's really God so loved us. God so loved you. God so loved humanity that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And that is the promise that carries us through this world. It's the promise that gives us hope for a better tomorrow. It gives us hope for eternity. It gives us hope that we will stand face to face with Jesus. It gives us hope that we can get through the muck of this world because there's something on the other side worth living for. Now, I know that some of you might be here today and you don't have a relationship with God. You don't have a personal relationship with him. And so maybe you feel like these promises can't really apply to you because you don't even know who God is. And I just want to encourage you today that God loves you more than anything. And he wants you to be a part of his family. He wants that relationship with you. He wants to be your father. He wants you to be his child, and he wants to give you the promises of his word. So I'm going to do two prayers this morning. One is for those people who maybe have never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And then I'm going to do another prayer for people who have been walking with the Lord a long time, but you have forgotten the promises of God. You have forgotten the power that those promises can have over your life. And so we're going to pray a claiming and an an acting prayer of a promise over your life today so that you can walk in freedom through whatever it is that you are facing. All right. Right now, if you do not know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, if you've never called out to him, I just want you to say this with me. Just pray this with me. Just close your eyes. Quiet your heart, and I just want you to say, Lord, I need you. Father, would you come and be a father to me? Lord, I don't know much about you. I don't know much about this Christianity, this religion, this relationship. But Father, I know I need a Savior. And so in this moment, I ask you, Lord, to come and be my Savior. I ask you in this moment, Lord, to come. Those promises that you have in your word, I need for my life. Would you come? Would you draw near me? And will you just cover me in your love, Father, I pray. Amen. All right, for those of you who have walked with God a long time, and you know him personally, I want to pray a prayer of activation. I want to pray a prayer of uh, claiming the promises of his word over your life. And so I'm going to pray for you right now in this moment. Lord, we come before you. We thank you that you so loved us that you sent your son to die for us. We thank you that you are a part, that we are a part of your family that there's nothing we could do to separate us from your love. And Father, right here today, I pray for every person sitting in here, Lord, 
I pray for them the promises that you speak in your word. Would they be alive and activated in the hearts of everybody sitting in here? Lord, you know their hearts. You know their needs. You know their trials. You know exactly what every person in here needs. And so this morning, I just pray for your Holy Spirit to fall upon this place, for you to enact your promises, that we would go forth today and claim these promises over our lives, and that we will see you work to give you the glory Father, I love stories that end with you getting the glory. And so, Lord, we enact these promises not for our selfish benefit, but for your glory. To be able to stand and say, God did that for me. God freed me from that. God worked this out on my behalf. God was faithful to what he said he would do. And so, God, we call upon you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for all 7,000 promises. May we not take them lightly. May we know the power they hold. And would you go before us this week, Father? I thank you for your love for us. And it's in your precious name we pray. Amen. If you need um, any prayer, maybe you couldn't pray this morning because you're just so... Uh, tied up. Uh, we have prayer ministry team members that are going to come up, and that's something called intercessory prayer, where maybe you just need someone else to pray that promise over you and enact that in your life because you're just unable to do it. And so um, as we go, I just want to uh, remind you that the promises of God are good. They are to bring peace. They are to bring healing to your life. So go today, be blessed by his promises, and have a wonderful week. Thank you for having me. If you are new or you would love to be connected to Oasis, please text the word Oasis to the number on the screen. We would love to connect with you. Also, if you have any prayer requests or any prayer needs, please comment below. We would love to continue to pray with you throughout the week. As always, join us next week. Can't wait to see you. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. I really hope God moved in your heart today. And if you're in the Scottsdale area, I'd love for you to come and visit our campus on one of our Sunday services. You can find details to our service times on our website. I also want to thank our faithful givers. By giving towards our podcast, you're able to help us reach people from all over the world for Christ and fulfill the mission of Oasis, which is to love God, love life, and love people. God bless.